We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. The Christ conscious believer spends and is spent for the kingdom. The Christ conscious believer gives and gives again. Second Corinthians 11. I made a statement I want to show you so that you don't think that I'm speaking old wives fables. Second Corinthians 11, we will go from verse 6. And let me see how the TPT puts this. For although I may not be a polished or eloquent speaker, I am certainly not an amateur in revelation knowledge. Paul says I'm not, an, I'm not a pushover <laughs> when it comes to knowing Jesus. I'm certainly not an amateur in revelation knowledge. Indeed, we have demonstrated this to you time and again. Seven. Have I committed a sin by degrading myself to dignify you? Have I, have I, have I committed a sin to degrade myself to dignify you? He asked the Corinthian church, was I wrong to preach the gospel of God to you free of charge? Hear him. I received ample financial support from other churches just so that I could freely serve you. And Paul was not saying this to their glory. He was saying this to their shame. Put the New King James up. See the word Paul uses there. What's the word he uses? I robbed other churches. The word robbed as used there is the Greek word esulesa. And it essentially means to plunder. You know, like when, how you go to war and you take the spoil of war to plunder. That's the word he used there. So he went to Macedonia, he went to Philippi, he went to Ephesus, he traveled the entire Asia Minor, you know, all them churches, Brittany and Co. And they were a blessing to him. And Paul, spending money that other churches had blessed him with on Corinth. He considered it plundering the churches. Why? That's very instructive. I was telling the Corinthian church that whatever it takes to run this church should come from this church. Are you here tonight? I robbed, I plundered other churches. So churches that Paul felt bad, it was not in Corinth's interest that Macedonia and Philippi and other churches were saying, oh, you're going to Corinth. Those people that don't know how to look after their pastors. Hey, let us, let us give you stuff so when you go to Corinth, you don't need anything from them. And Paul said it to their shame. I plundered them. I robbed them. Paul considered it robbery. See verse 9. Go back to the TPT in verse 9. He says, remember when I was with you, I didn't bother anyone when I needed money. For my needs were always supplied by my Macedonian friends. And I told you that the guys in Macedonia were so poor and yet so joyful. And yet they appeared to have bound themselves to an oath that wherever Paul is ministering the gospel, he will not suffer. 
Because you'd have thought that their support of Paul would have stopped when he was no longer within them in the provinces of Macedonia. But Paul was in Corinth. Go and do a little bit of history. Corinth was a commercial nerve center of the Greek empire in that time. Greek was not a poor place. Um, Corinth was not a poor place in the Greek empire. It was a trading post, a major commercial trading post of the Greek empire in their day. Corinth could have been akin to Lagos. Do you understand? Or Dubai. It was a regional hub for trade and commerce. The grandest temples, the most expensive parlors and massages and spas and baths. That's why they had so many prostitutes. They had temples dedicated to gods, dedicated to sex. It was a major hub of human life. So it was not exactly poor people. That's why Paul took his time to contrast their position with the Macedonian position. Am I in word and life? That's why it took time to, to contrast. So look at the Macedonian guys, so poor. They had nothing. Yet Paul is in a place that has everything. And yet they were not catering to him or to the work or to the church. And it was the poor people in Macedonia that were still hooking him up in order to do ministry. That tells you, friends, that the ability to give is not hinged on how much you have. It's not hinged on, it's not until you have that you will give. It's until you are that you will give. In other words, giving is not a function of having. Giving is a function of being. Giving is not a function of having. It's a function of being. And how do you be? That's where we stopped off last week. By activating the grace to give. You see that the Corinthian church had no reason to not be givers. It will actually even appear that they had, they had some sort of unconscious conspiracy to do everything except give. Why do we say that? Paul is telling them in 2 Corinthians 8, we saw that last week and the week before, he said, as you're excelling these other graces, see to it that you're excelling this one also. So it wasn't something they were incapable of, it was something they had willfully neglected. Something they had willfully neglected. So he's in Corinth. Poor Macedonia. Not poor in a manner of speaking. Not poor in spirit. (laughs) Do you understand? So think of Macedonia that poor. And yet their minds were set on Paul in Corinth. It doesn't matter where Paul is. If he's preaching this gospel... We are indebted to him. It doesn't matter where Paul is. If he's preaching this gospel. Who sends supply to him. Put us back in the verse. He says my Macedonian friends. So I was careful. And will continue to be careful. That I never become a burden to you. In any way. By this point. Paul was being careful. In order not to fall into the hands of the Corinthians. Because if he knew that at this point. If he did. They will boast that if not for us. Corinth. 
Paul will never have done anything in ministry. Are you here? So that's where we are in the series part 30, the Christ conscious believer spends and is spent for the kingdom. The Christ conscious believer gives, gives, and gives again. Last week we left off in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We will continue with Romans 5 tonight. We're looking at 68. 6 to 8. For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Stay in that six for a bit and just cast your mind back to John 3.16. For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for who? Sinners. Now, this is how God loved the world. He gave. His only begotten son. Who did he give it for? Sinners. Who were weak, helpless, and powerless to help themselves. Contrary to popular Pentecostal belief, in fact, Christian Orthodox believing that, um, oh Jesus, because there are things that I hear us pastors say without fear, without conscience that disturbs me. We must be careful to not bring esoteric, secular, philosophical doctrines into our work with God. We must stubbornly refuse. Then that you will stand and have such an exalted platform and literally deceive millions of people who say, wow, such revelation. You must give at the level you want to activate. Somebody has a billion naira in his bank account. You want to be like him. You have 10 grand. You must give what the person who has one billion will be shook by to activate. Oh, you're teaching revelation. That's, that's major. That's a secret, a mystery you have just shown us in the kingdom. And the such comments are in the thousands. And my simple question is, who set that example? But you see, the sad truth is, because this is what you have been taught over the years, you are actually more comfortable giving to that kind of lie. And I'm speaking to the church in general now. You're more comfortable giving to that kind of lie because you feel like, okay, let's follow somebody who has made it. He can show us the way. And there is no such precedent in scripture for giving. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let me make it clearer for you. By telling you, you cannot give your way into the grace of God upon my life. You cannot. I'll be teaching you to give. But you, give, you cannot tap. Let me tap into the grace. Tap into this word. Tap into You cannot. If, if after you have heard all this, you decide to not give. Then you have not seen Jesus. And we will not take money from people who are not seeing Christ. We will not. Keep your money. We will not let people who are not seeing Christ pay to sponsor the message of Christ. 
So if after you've heard all the message of liberty, it doesn't radically alter your mindset to start to give right, then there's nothing anybody can do for you. Because until you break away from that poverty mentality that deceives you to believe that, oh, you want something, give something, you will continue to fall for your own scam for the rest of your life. Look at your parents. How have they fed? Look at your parents who have been in the Lord. I've been a Christian for 30 years, 35 years, 40 years. What is the end result of all the givings? Because the example that we see is somebody who was there and fell in love with someone here and stripped himself and gave all when they were weak, helpless, powerless. I don't know about y'all, but that's my example. Let everything else be a lie. My example is somebody who stepped out of his way to set straight somebody that was crooked whose setting straight was of no benefit to him. Because you must understand that God did not become a better God because he saved you. The volume or the percentage or the quality of God's godness did not improve because you came into the kingdom. Because you see, essentially what, you, what happened to you when you got saved is you just fused into God because the kingdom is God. The kingdom is not a physical location. And because God is infinite, you just come into him. What you're enjoying now is a portion of God. You didn't come to add a portion to God. Do you understand what I'm saying? You are enjoying a portion of God. That's what, he, that's what Paul says that he has qualified us, Colossians 1.12, to partake in what? Inheritance. What is inheritance? A portion allocated to you. Are you following me? So as a believer, you are qualified to partake of the what? Of the saints in the light. So you are enjoying a portion of God with your name on it. You did not, your getting saved is not a portion added to God. That explains to you then why Jesus saved you. It had to be nothing other than love. We know they make sense. That's why I love the song. You know, that line sounds very provocative. I took my time to sit down when I heard the song the first time. Those, that Norwegian a cappella choir. I took my time to sit down and then I went, I went and researched the guys. Uh, 10th, 10th Avenue North or something. I went and researched it. I watched the video behind the making of the song. I sat down with the song and I had to, I had to convince myself that this thing is scripturally sound. At least the, the chorus. God, you don't need me. That's gospel truth. I had to reconcile that. No, you don't need me. But somehow, some weird, inexplicable reason, you find yourself, God, wanting me. This is how badly God wants you. You are trying to go to heaven. God is trying to come to earth. 
You want to make heaven. You want to make heaven. You want to make. Go and read Revelation and see the end of how these things fold up. They don't fold up with you going to where God is. That will take the whole salvation thing and put it upside down. No. With the fullness of salvation to the uttermost. So when all things are reconciled to God, God is among men. Not that men are among God. Otherwise, you would have said the tabernacle of men is among God. If it's heaven, you're trying to make at last. But that book ends with the tabernacle of God is with men. He wants to dwell with you. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate. God wants to roll with you more than he wants to sit on a throne and receive your praise and worship. Some of you may not be able to handle this. I'm not teaching it yet and I understand we will get there. We'll get there. God is more interested in rolling with you than sitting on a throne for you to bow down. Religious folks are going to be upset by this. But the ultimate in God's mind is not to be your God. He's God already. It's not not to be your, your God. That's how much he wants you. That's of how much value you are to God that he will fold up his throne of eternity past until the day of the Lord. Fold it up and create a fresh earth because you have messed up this one. Create a fresh earth that can contain him and you. King to king. Physical to physical. I've said it over. Reformers and new age, new in creation, Christ, reality people are saying the Holy Spirit. I've said it over and over as controversial as it sounds. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not forever. Quote me. Go and read your Bible. He will bring us till. The transition is complete where we are now interfacing with the Father directly here. That is what he has sealed us for. To bring us to that day. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he gives for you. That he has given his son and he will give his creation. Romans 8 and 32. If he did not spare his own son. 32, yes. Okay, let's see it. Let's see it. For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. So you see men teach you oh Lord help me tonight. Men teach you to give a little and test the water. A little more. See how you do. A little more. That's not the example we are shown. At the very first instance of falling in love with you we give you his best. That's why we are so confused right now in the earth. Because we are struggling to grasp the fact that he gave you his best. So we start to feel unworthy. 
And it's not possible that no one has made heaven. How? It can't be possibly be that easy. And that's why in your life now, especially as Nigerians, you suspect any relationship that doesn't have stress. You are looking for when it will end. Or when the real color will manifest. So eventually, you start to manufacture problems in order to bring about the demonic statement that we must disagree to agree. Where is it written? How can two people having the same Holy Spirit disagree inside the same relationship? How? Somebody is not hearing the Holy Spirit. Somebody's not hearing the Holy Spirit. It's not possible that we are of the same spirit. Same mind. You say you bring your own. I bring my that's why we are so see, there's a level of maturity that the church will never come into until she's ready to face certain realities. Until we understand that we have no business disagreeing on fundamentals. There's a level of maturity as ecclesia we will not come into. Who told you that? Because you have been conditioned to believe you must slave for something. I've always said it in relationships around me. My wife, close associates, friends. I've always said over and over, I never want to become a pro in crisis management. Why? Should I be learning how to manage crisis between two believers? Why are the believers in the crisis? I don't want to spend my life chopping up branches when there's a stump there to deal with. Crisis management. Every time you're fighting. Every time you're arguing. Go and check scripture. Somebody is out of line with the Holy Spirit. They will not admit it. Somebody is out of line. Either you or the other person. It's really simple. So we are conditioned. Why is it so nice? Where is this thing even going? There's something. There's something. But the example of giving that we have is that of giving you his best first. First. And just before your mind will go to John chapter 2. Oh, usually people bring the best wine first. And then they, they will be, the water wine is served last. You people, you have served the bad wine first and then brought the, the good wine last. Who gave them the first wine? Not him. Not him. If he had arrived there and there was no wine at all, it is that same quality of wine. He would have already given them immediately. So we had two calibers of wine because... There were two calibers of givers. Besides, besides what I've taught you that that scripture connotes. If he did not spare his own son, but freely, freely, freely. How much more will he not with him freely give us all things? Let's see how the message puts this verse. If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition, and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son. Is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Oh, pastor, pray for me. I, I'm pray, trusting God for the fruit of the womb. Sow a seed. You have to provoke God. 
pure witchcraft. Because again, I ask you, in view of these scriptures, where did they learn it from? Where? If he did not spare his own son, but gave him freely, how will he know? So it's a child that God now has you paying for when his own son he gave you freely. How does that make any form of sense? Where Romans 5 and verse 7. Now which of us will dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. He didn't die for a nice guy. A nice guy died for bad folks. Who should have died? This is how he loves. This is how he loves. So Christ is my example. And what a benchmark he has set. Christ is my example. That's my resolve. I will give like Christ. I will love like Christ. If you can't do that, then you have just shown that God wasted the love of Christ on your life. Because that's how he keeps you in grace. He looks at the nonsense you just did. Then he looks at what Christ did. What Christ did is greater. It's not that he doesn't know how to punish you. You know, people, people must be careful in how people that are saying, no, the nature of God, they must understand that the nature of God has not changed. His dealings have. In other words, God right now can kill. He knows how to kill. Don't confuse it in your trying to rewrite scripture because of the finished work and say, God does not kill. He does. He knows how to kill. But there is a mediator now such that he cannot see what he needs to kill because it is absorbed in who he killed. Let's explain scripture, not explain away scripture. Not explain away. You know what I mean by explain away? Like give it an expression and just remove it. Oh, God didn't do this. God couldn't have done that. No. His dealings have always been blood-based. Always. That's how he deals with you. He sees the nonsense you did. And he, then he, oh, Christ. Do you understand? Always speaking better things. Always. You too, that's your example for love. And somebody will ask you, ah, Alexander Pav, how come you keep going? How come you keep loving? This is how. It's not that you deserve it. But I look at when I want to kill you. And I will miss you after I've killed you. So wait again. Because right now it looks like I can't live with you. But the truth of the matter is it's worse that I can't live without you. And so I affirm my commitment to you. And I tell you I love you. It's not because I'm strong. It's because like Paul says. We are getting to the point where we can say we are not amateurs. <laughs> in Revelation. And your entire mindset will receive sense. Once you reprogram yourself to see and love like Christ does. Like God in Christ does. There's some levels of domestic violence that will never be heard of in church anymore. 
Once we settle that in our head, some levels of rebellion and resistances in church that will die. Once we really understand love, it's not a gamble. That's why it's not babies that fall in love. You don't fall in love until you can afford it. You don't. You don't go sleeping with someone until you can afford it. And I don't mean financially in any sense. So you can afford the commitment of nurturing them to the fullest of who they are. Stay away from love. Solomon said it don't arouse love. And that's why it's also foolish to, to be regetting love and be fighting it. You also don't have sense. I say commitment. Okay, let me see. Hmm. Hmm. Don't arouse it. Because when you love, there's no filter. If there is a filter to love, God should have shown us. He should have killed John the Baptist on the cross and see how we are going to respond. Was it not for honor? But think about it for a minute. Why did God not send somebody? Go and die first. Let's see how they receive somebody that is not his son. Before we now put the only begotten one. Because this is the only one I have. Let's not use him and gamble to stop rough play. People that are even helpless. People that are seen as wicked people. I want to carry my only son and go and give them. No, let's try Isaiah. She was saying, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. <laughs> woe is me, woe is me. I'm a man of unclaims among the people. Ah, yeah. Who shall go for us? Who shall we say? No, be you talk. Go, go. Go and die first. No. I said to you a few weeks ago, something happened of cataclysmic proportions. God fell in love with sinful man. Full stop. That's the entire story. The entire redemption story is that God couldn't help falling in love with a wretch. And because he fell in love with a wretch, he started the process of redeeming that wretch so the wretch can become who he fell in love with. So he doesn't come to you and tell you to clean yourself up. No. He came to you, brought you to him as you were. Messed up. You realize that it's from inside God that he's cleaning you up. It's church that keeps you outside to clean up first. Cut your hair. Wear a longer skirt. Change what you're wearing. Don't swear in the church. Stop swearing. Remove the nose ring. All those things that are making us uncomfortable. We are very convinced that if they are making us uncomfortable, they are making God uncomfortable. So, so stay there. Remove the chain. Remove this clean up. Look like a decent human being. Then you can approach. It's church. Not God. But we who believe have not so learned Christ. Mm-mm. He takes him, he takes, takes you as you are. He takes you to himself, cleaves to you. 
That's what marriage is. And then inside of God, he then starts to clean you. That's why I've said over and over to women, leave men alone until you are ready to be a woman to a man. Go there and be fighting. No. No. Leave it. And then woman too. Leave a woman alone until you know what to teach her. So she can can become. Because unconsciously men are still looking for ready-made women. It takes a real man. Babies purchase women. Men raise women. You nurture a woman. Conform her to your image. You can look and say, thank you Jesus, I made that one. He draws you in. As you were. He was not intimidated. Why? He's in love. All he can see is love. Like a diamond in the rough. Takes you and starts to nurture. From inside God is where he's sanctifying you. He's not sanctifying you to bring you into him. That's how he loves. And that is our example. That's how we give. That's how we love. That's how we forgive. That's how we commit. And I'm trusting and believing the Lord that whoever you are right now, the sound of my voice, your heart is open to see and to receive this. Stop fighting it. Stop fighting it. Because this is the best God has. It's best. Everything else follows from what he gave. Everything else. Everything else. That's how he showed us to love. He led with his best. We lead with our best. That's how we love. He's our example. So when we give, we give as God gives. We give as God gives. Not as men give. 2 Corinthians 8 and 1. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. We've looked at this before. Let's see the TPT. Let's just stay there. Oh Lord, I give as you give. I love as you love. I forgive as you forgive. I'm as liberal as you are liberal. I lead with my best as you lead with your best. I see you as my example. I confess you as my example. I practice you as my example. I imbibe you as my example. Until I fully become you. Open the church to this, Lord. Open the church to this. Open the church to the purity of love. Open the church to the purity of love. The selflessness of love. The commitment of love. How, 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 how can we see a God that is in a hurry to kill somebody he gave his all to save where who invented that god that the church has the effrontery to call together and say god should kill somebody god should judge somebody when he says he does not wish for anyone to perish God desires that all should come to repentance. If all do not, you cannot blame God for it. 
Where do we invent that God from? Where? How? Where do we get that from? James said, how can bitter and sweet water come from the same fountain? How can he be so bipolar? It's disturbing. It's disturbing. So you are here being overwhelmed by love. I'm here teaching that we have not started. So brace up. Because love is an avalanche. It's not served in teacups. It's not served in measures. It overruns you. Literally. It changes your entire life. When you encounter love. Otherwise it's not love you encountered. So a lot of people are resisting it because they're like, if it's love, why is it changing me? Why is it that? Because it's love. It's, that's what love does. It changes you. It shifts you. It takes over your entire space and recolors it. That's what love does. It's in the presence of love that the church can gather every day for a whole year and not feel like you're under pressure. It's religion that makes you feel like again, church. Because you are going there to serve God. That's the problem. When Jesus did not die for servants of God. Every whole world are servants of God. Jesus now God wants servants. He now sent his son to die to recruit servants. That's a bad investment. He died to bring sons into glory. Hebrews 2 and 10. To bring many sons into glory. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But the spirit of adoption, Galatians 4, by which we cry, Abba, which means Father. I repeat, love is an avalanche. It's not served in teacups. Oh, can I have some love today? Sorry, we're out of stock. When love sits in your heart, there's some practices that will die a natural death. Some resistances that will never show up again. You will never struggle to give again. You become like me, needing handlers. Because me, my life. If I didn't have handlers in my life. Because where people poured out. Literally. Where people poured out. Because that's the example we've seen. That's who our example is. We give like he does. I was in 2 Corinthians 8 and 1. You notice we're in the same area, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, 11, 10, you know, same. Beloved ones, we must tell you about the grace of God poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. For even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy. From the depths of their extreme poverty, Superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. Switch to King James there. There's a word used, liberal. In the New King James, yeah, the liberality. And I told you that word is the Greek word, haplotis. Right? To give simply, to give without any expectation of anything in return on which such joy. That's how we give. Somebody say that's how we give. So we give not because we have increase or because we have extra. We give because it is our culture. We give not because we have increase. In other words, 
I have paid everything I need to pay for the month. There's now this one left. From what is left, now we give. That's not how God gave. That's not the example that Christ has shown us. We give because it is our culture to give. Because our, our example has shown us how to give. Our example. And some of us live like this every single day. We give because it is the believer's culture. I give because it is the believer's culture. I don't want to repent of giving. I have no intention to give less. No intention. I have none. No intention. I make a public declaration. I have no intention to give less. No intention. I'm not about to give less. I'm not about to. I'm not about to. Because my example, man, what an example. The only thing you can do for me is to hide what the word says from me. The day I see it in the light of Christ, I will do it. I will commit myself. From that day, if I fall, I fall forward in pursuit of what my eyes have seen until I apprehend it. If I see it, ah, do not esteem yourself more highly that you ought, than you ought to, but in love, remember Johnny through Romans 12, in love, esteeming others more highly than yourself. If I've seen it, I will do it. And you can keep yourself and esteem yourself more than everybody else. I will not allow your selfishness reduce me to carnality when my eyes have seen the word of life concerning how to deal with you. That's my commitment. So if you want to stick to your personality and stick to your temperament and stick to your preferences, be my guest, but I will not allow that reduce me to walk in, in, in carnality. Because I have seen that I should esteem you more than myself. I've seen it. I've seen it. So why, you, oh, I don't have airtime. Except if I don't have on my phone, you will receive a transfer of airtime from me. And I will say to the Lord, airtime will come. At time, so what you want to feel nice because you have 2000 at time on your phone, then you start looking for non entities to call when the Lord has need of airtime. Somebody needs that airtime to make an urgent phone call, and you have two grand. You're feeling like, ah, see me, see airtime, see bonus because we walk around measuring our worth by how much we think we are gathering together as He that gathereth. Mounts to nothing as he that scatters abroad comes into plenty. We have an example. We're not going to give less. Second Corinthians nine eleven. Okay, let's go, let's go from ten. This generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, seed to the sower, becomes bread for our meals, bread to the eater, is even more extravagant towards you. Eleven. First, ten rather. First, he supplies every need. Plus more. Then he multiplies the seed as you sow it. So that the harvest of your generosity will grow. The harvest of your generosity will grow. This is not spiritual we're talking now. I established this context last week. Now go into 11 on that. You will be abundantly enriched.
enriched in every way as you give. You will be abundantly enriched in every way as you give. How do you give? Generously on Mm. Imagine if you came for a word of life meeting and I said, I'm on strike. I'm not teaching. I'm not ministering to you in spiritual things because you are not ministering to me in material things. Which, like Paul said, is our right. No. Paul tells Timothy, be instant. In season and out of, so we don't get a day off. Now, if giving is your culture, by the example of he who loved you and gives life for you, you don't get a day of giving. How and when do you give? Generously on. For when, go on, we take your gift to those in need, it causes many to give thanks to God. That's what I want you to see. That when you give into the house that God has planted you, amongst other things that he generates is thanksgiving. And gratitude to God. That is your first pot of call. As far as reward is concerned. Your giving causes gratitude. So the moment we say. Father thank you for diesel today. Whoever that seed came through. Do you understand? Whoever that. It it abounds before the Lord. As a fragrance. We say thank you father for diesel. We are saying thank you father for Caleb. So what the Lord is hearing is constantly him having cause to be overjoyed because of your giving. Don't you want to give the father joy? Oh no, you want to only give him when you are, when you are sure he will press it down. But when you give generously on every occasion, exercising the grace of giving, what happens? You cause many thanksgivings. You can James. Liberty, right? Haplotis. Which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Thanksgivings through us to God. Us there refers to who? Paul and his companions. The apostles. As you give with liberality, you you are... Causing thanksgivings through us. In other words, you are giving leaders reason to be thankful to God over you. Does that make sense? Your generosity will result in thanksgiving. The NASB says, you will be enriched in, every, in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. The word producing is actually the word working out. Thanksgiving to God. That's what happens when you give. Your giving works out a thanksgiving to God. Contrary to religious people that fix thanksgiving service specially. So you can plan to give specially. When scripture says on every occasion. Scripture says you are abounding in all things. Who cause thanksgivings to God. Be thankful always, not once a month. Show it always. In fact, every time you even think of something or pray for something, you do it with thanksgiving. It's a special day. So we give without expecting anything in return. We give just to provoke thanksgiving. Every time you give, 
Thanksgiving arises to God. There's a pleasure in the heavenlies. There's an excitement and a joy in the church. There's thankfulness in the atmosphere because you gave. If you're a lover, that is enough. That's more than enough for you to give. More than enough for you to smile. It's satanic for you to come to church and sit down. They say, turn to your neighbor and give them a smile. That's when you now decide to tighten your face. But that's the height of pride. It's the height of stinking pride that you are who? That you are what? Turn to your neighbor and give them a smile and welcome them to me. If you understand that this neighbor is a fellow son of God, saved with the same blood of Jesus that saved you, you, it will come natural to you. I'm having period cramps. So what? You don't know what kind of day I've had. So what? I'm sick. You cannot be sick. Your body might be sick. No, please don't make me laugh. I'm sick. That's when you should laugh. This is very silly Nigerian things. Let me tell you something. I've said this over and over. Listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. Until you remove African tradition and diabolism from your faith, you will never enjoy what God did for you in Christ. You will never. You will go through your entire life and live like a slave, even though you were saved a song. Because you will not see Jesus. You will always see him through the coloring of tradition. The coloring of culture. Jesus is not a Nigerian. Christ is not an African. So we don't reduce him to African tradition. Or any tradition for that matter. Paul makes that clear in Colossians 2. But see, we have settled so much where we don't think about the impact that our philosophy, our philosophies and our tradition has on our faith. So we say sentences that don't make any sense for believers. Don't make any sense. Until we get to the point where we lay that aside and then you can see Christ the way he intends to be seen, not through your traditional lens. It's not from your village. You don't use our people say to explain Jesus. You don't. You don't. You don't use our people have a saying to explain Christ. No. He explains himself. He is the word of life. Not the proverbs of your village people. But because we're in an age where tradition and culture sit together in the same pew in church. You have merged the two together. Until you get to that point. There's a lot to teach the church. A lot. It's a lot. We give because it is the believer's culture. We don't give out of convenience. We give out of conviction. Write that down. We don't give out of convenience. We give out of conviction. Luke chapter 8 verse 1. We give not out of convenience but out of conviction. Now it came to pass afterward that he, Jesus, went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, the twelve disciples, right? Our apostles. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's chief of staff, Herod's steward, 
and Susanna and many others who provided for him from their substance. Think about it for a second. It's not just showing you people who were giving to support Jesus. Oh yes, people gave to support Jesus. People gave to support Jesus. Most of them women. Ex-demon possessed women. Following Jesus up and down. Giving to him from their substance. Not praying for him. I am praying for you. Hello. Put your money where your prayer is. Let's see verse 3 in the TPT. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who managed King Herod's household, chief of staff, hey? Many other women, how many other? Many other women who supported Jesus' ministry from their own personal finances also traveled with him. People were traveling with Jesus just to sponsor him. Not only were they supporting him, they were with him to ensure that per time he was supplied. It's because of this, sir, that Judas had portfolio. Yes, sir. It's only where there's money they can be a treasurer. They were following him and giving to him. Why? Conviction. This guy helped me. This guy has been a blessing to me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven demons out of me. Because of his ministry. So they followed him and gave to his ministry. That's why we give. Another reason why we give. Conviction. Not convenience. Conviction, not compulsion. Are we here? Mark 12. 41. TPT says... Then he sat down near the offering box. New King James says he sat down opposite the treasury. <laughs> but let's stay in TPT. Since it's language that you can understand. Then, then he sat down near the offering box. In the temple. Watching all the people dropping in their coins. Many of the rich would put in very large sums. But a destitute widow walked up and dropped in two small copper coins worth less than a penny. Jesus called his disciples to, to gather around and then said to them, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given a larger offering than any of the wealthy. For the rich only gave out of their surplus but she sacrificed out of her poverty and gave to God all that she had to live on, which was everything she had. Her offering was greater in quality as opposed to in quantity. There's a posture of giving. I said a few weeks ago that the only thing that should be on the mind of the New Testament believer is the benefit of the receiver, not the expense of the giver. If I give you this, how much will it? Will I? No, you just give. 
But what is on your mind? The benefit to the receiver. Not the expense to the giver. That's love. That's what, that's what drove God. What his giving of Jesus would do for you. Not what his giving of Jesus will do for him. And not the cost of it to him. But the benefit of it to you. Does that make sense? When you empty your account for the object of your love, your account is fuller in your reckoning. You don't see that your account is empty when you give it to the object of your love. You don't speak to someone you love on the phone and then come off the phone and like, yeah. Oh, no. You're looking at it. You are, you are already, as you are getting to 10 minutes, you're looking for who will borrow you airtime. You don't know how you are going to pay. But we go sort them somehow. So you see, it turns out, watch me carefully, it turns out that wired in your DNA is the ability to love and give. That's what I'm trying to show you. It just goes to show you that really at the heart of you as a believer, you need nobody to teach you about giving. You just need to cure yourself of the misconceptions surrounding giving. That's all I wanted to show you. That's how I teach. That by the visible things, you can comprehend the invisible. Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6 and 5. Haplotis. Ephesians 6 and 5. Those who are employed should listen to their employers and obey their instructions with great respect and honor. That's sincerity of heart. I explained this word, haplotis. Serve them with humility in your hearts as though you were working for the master. If I go on to verse 6, just for added insight. Always do what is right and not only when others are watching. So that you may please Christ as his servant by doing his will. Colossians 3 and 22. Sincerity of heart. Colossians 3 and 22. You see the same word. Put, put up in the New King James first. Bond servants, contextually speaking, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, your carnal masters. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in liberality of heart. Haplotis. Fearing God. Now we can see it in the TPT. Let every employee listen well and follow the instructions of their employer. Not just when their employers are watching. And not in pretense. But faithful in all things. For we are to live our lives with pure hearts in the constant awe and wonder of our Lord Jesus. So giving liberally is an integral element. Being liberal, being, being sincere, being generous is an integral element of being a son of God. That's love. 2 Corinthians 8, 3 and 5, 3 to 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 to 5. For I can verify, he's referring to the Macedonian church, that they spontaneously gave, not only according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. They actually begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry of giving to God's holy people who are living in poverty. Verse 5. They exceeded our expectations by first dedicating themselves fully to the Lord and then to us according to God's 
pleasure. And that's what we've learned from the Father. Giving without expecting anything in return. 2 Timothy 6 and 17. 2 Timothy 6 17. For when he arrived in Rome, he searched and searched for me until he found where I was being held. Go back to 16 so that we can, or 15, so we can pick the context of this. Good. Perhaps you've heard that Figalos and Hermogenes and all the believers of Asia have deserted me because of my imprisonment. Oh. Nevertheless, so many times, Onesiphorus was like a breath of fresh air to me and never seemed to be ashamed of my chains. May our Lord Jesus bestow compassion and mercy upon him and his household. So you see where that prayer came from? The same place that, that my God shall supply your needs came from. Now see verse 17. Paul says of Onesiphorus, for when he arrived in Rome, he searched and searched for me until he found out where I was being held so that he could minister to me just like he did so wonderfully as I rested in his house while in Ephesus. So this guy was in prison, as you well know. This guy was in prison now and Onesiphorus still hunted him down to be a blessing to him. That's how we give. David wakes up and he goes, is there anybody surviving from the house of Saul that I may be a blessing to for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan was dead. And David was still looking to be benevolent to him. We give without expecting any... What do you, what do you think he was expecting from a man in chains? We give with eternity in view. We give with kingdom in view. See verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 8. So Paul is now wrapping it home for the Corinthian church. And he says, you do well and excel in every respect. In unstoppable faith. In powerful preaching. In revelation knowledge. In your passionate devotion. And in sharing the love we have shown you. So make sure that you also excel in grace-filled generosity. There's grace to give. Please use it. We're not governed by material things. Don't let them have a grip on you. Proverbs 11, let's see, let's see it in let's see 23, 24. Yes, 24. There's one who scatters, yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than is right. TPT. Generosity brings prosperity, but withholding from charity brings poverty. And the church say, I wrote something here that is very important to mention in this part of the series. If the absence of money or the presence of a need reflects in your countenance, you're a baby in the faith. If the absence of money or the presence of a need reflects in your countenance, you're a child. Oh, how are you? Oh, I'm so bad. I don't have money. I don't feel good. Oh, I've not paid my rent. No. I am who he says I am. He is who he says he is. I'm defined by all his promises. I'm shaped by every word he says. That is my reality. That is my reality. Even when I don't have a house. I am no victim. I live with a vision. 
covered by the force of love, covered in my Savior's love. That's, I'm not an orphan. I'm not a poem. It will not change because of my bank account. Don't. It's not motivational singing. Are you not singing? Life is waiting for you outside to test the reality of your conviction. You can't tell you I'm, I'm down. Uh, why? It never chop. It will kill you. I'm telling you, I promise you. It will take you down with it. And you will go and wait for us. You are not going to go to hello. You will just burn out in the earth. And go and wait for us at the bus stop. You know what I mean? The dead in Christ shall rise first. <laughs> we'll meet you. Yeah. Oh, no, we're not, we're not going to go to hell. You just go and wait for us in the bus stop. Say you want to die first. You do not challenge your position with your condition. No, 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 no. You challenge your condition with your position. You don't have money, then the whole world comes crashing on you. No, when you have money, you will have a bigger problem. Now you have only one staff. You're owing them 30k. You cannot pay. By the time you have a big business and you have 300 staff and you need 40 million to pay one month's salary and you have only 18 million in the account, you'll not be able to sleep. Imagine having 18 million and you can't sleep. There are certain truths I've taught myself and I've received sense. You'll be cracking your head. Which bank manager cannot call to give me 20 million? Which house can I mortgage to get extra 10 million? Which, what, what can I do? What assets can I liquidate? I need 20 million badly. I, have, I need 40 million. I have 18. And then you sort it out. Your business grows. You are franchised all over Africa. Except, of course, you are thinking like a poor man. And don't blame it on God. Your poverty does not glorify God. I repeat, your poverty does not glorify God. He's not intimidated by your wealth. It's not threatened. The cross is not threatened that you have money. So except if you are thinking like a child, you're thinking, baby, you just let me, this carpenter shop, let me just be managing it. People that are selling chairs all over the world, do they have two heads? Which gospel do they listen to? Hey, you're thinking like a poor man. Thinking very little in a global age. So except if you have plans to just be here, just selling your rice, selling, and just selling one day at, the, at a time. Because me, oh, my dreams are large. Because my God is larger. I don't dream cheap dreams. I don't. And I don't sleep and sleep in dreams. I wake up and I start taking step after step. So each day I'm closer to the dream. So except if you're not growing, but if you're growing, your problem will grow with you. Your house rent today now you are paying forty five thousand a more a year for one room. Except if you are not praying to, for God to increase you, a point will come whether forty five k is your security guy's salary for the month, and one month you will not have it. One particular month. As you grow, issues of life will grow. Don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. You have a bus, now you're doing transport. You have a bus, 16 people are on the road, the bus breaks down. You say, ah, I need to get engine. No, 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 650. I need to get 650K, buy engine. Now, if you have 650K, you buy a car. So you cannot allow life to control the color of your life. No, you can't do that. You're a baby. 
It's not what we have or don't have. It's whose we are at all times. Church has taught materialism for too long. And Africans measure you by how much you have. If you're in New York, for instance, a car is a liability. Where do you want to drive it to? In London, if you're in zone one or zone two of London, as you're entering a particular place in London, you have to pay for driving your car into that part of London. It's called a congestion charging zone. They're trying to keep less cars, put less cars on the road. So if you insist on driving into central London, you pay every day. Not to park your car, to drive it into a part of the city. Then you now pay like eight, nine pounds an hour to park it. So you realize that value is stupid, real, relative, subjective. It's poor people that are fighting over some stuff. MPs, members of parliament, take the train to work. Where do you want to drive to? You take the train to work, you hop on the bus, you cycle. Where do you want to drive? Have you been to New York and where, where do you want to drive? It's poverty. It's poverty. It's poverty. That's not how we measure quality of life. That's not how. Don't join the bandwagon. Don't do it. Don't do it. And that way you're able to give. Not out of compulsion, but out of knowledge. And with great joy. Given his ministry, everybody in, this, in the church is a minister. That means giving at the same level at all times is for everybody. So once we understand that giving is a ministry, or else it will not have been one that is attached grace. Because you see, man, Nigeria has a lot. Oh my Lord Jesus, help the church. You, you, you go for, an, for a launching and you see a man that you know can afford 10 million. You know. He himself, he knows. Come and give you 40,000 and say, my widow's might. It turns my stomach. I feel like throwing up. I, I honestly literally feel like throwing up when I see people insult widow's might. Widow's might is not the little you give when you can give big. Widow's might is the all you give, no matter how small. So somebody who can give comes and gives a little because he doesn't think that this thing is worth his investment. And so I have my widow's might of 40,000. Imagine Jesus looking at you. Widow's might is not you having plenty. You have 10k, you give 100. And I said, that 100. So you know, that was your, your widow's might can be 10 million. If it was what you gave with liberality. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Yeah. It can be your widow's might. Your all. Jesus was God's widow's might. And it was his all, his best. In other words, when God gave Jesus, there was nothing he kept le- back. Nothing he had left. That's widow's might. Not the little you give when you can give more. So you see that's ministry. Then let's see who is struggling. And you start to develop consistency because you understand that this thing is a love game. Then you are abounding in generosity because you have become a conduit for kingdom resources. That's when we are maturing as a church. And there is a church that can prosper without gimmicks. There can be a church that will prosper without lying. 
I will say it every time. There can be a church where all the needs are met without compromising. No, we don't need gimmicks. Show people Christ and they will give. If you see Christ and you're not giving, then you didn't see Christ. Because if you see him of a necessity, you will start to. And you'll give. So I'm trusting that at the end of this, certain things we have struggled with no longer become a struggle. And for me, my, my joy, you know how Paul said to the Corinthian church, that it, it produces thanksgiving through us to God. My joy is that someday I can stand boldly and say to people, pastors who are following us, and say to them, guys, we did it. You can do it. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.